Some of you thought I was going to do Jim, Bob, and Wally. Sorry. If you want to hear some of those, you can, there's actually Jim, Bob, and Wally, something other on there. You can find something on the web page or something. But I have had a great week. hope you have. It started out on Monday. I went with the pastors of our city uh, to um, a pastor's prayer retreat up in uh, Sumatonga, Camp Sumatonga. There's about 25 of us, and I got the chance to facilitate prayer uh, with the pastors. And I remember the very first time I went on a pastor's prayer summit, I thought, I know pastors, we go and hear about preaching, but we don't pray. That's typically what happens when we go to conferences, but that's not the case. At the summit, we actually invite God's presence, and we pray for a day and a half. It's a lot of prayer going on, a lot of uh, asking God to touch our hearts, and then out of that, to be able to touch the, our cities and our churches and things like that. So that was the first part of the week, and then I went on Wednesday. I flew up and joined Pam in New York City for Movement Day. Movement Day is a conglomeration of all kinds of uh, denominations and ministries to say, how can we best see God move in the cities? In about 2006, the population of the world changed that there were more people living in cities than were living in rural areas. That changed in about 2006, 2007. And it continues to grow, so they're going to say at some point in time, 75% of the world's population will live in cities, and about 25% are going to live in rural areas. So that's changing. Every day, more and more people are moving to the cities. Tim Keller said, if, uh, since the world is moving to the cities, if the church is not strong in the cities, then we lose the world. Now, Birmingham's a city, just in case you're wondering. So it's not just New York City. Birmingham's a city. Tuscaloosa's a city. People are moving to the cities, and there's all sorts of reasons for that. Uh, we started in a garden in Genesis, right? But we end in Revelation in a city. So God's not opposed to cities. He loves cities because it's in cities is where people live. So God loves people. They love cities. And there's a big, big challenge. So we were in New York City, and... And I got there, I'd, I'd, I'd been flying, you know, early in the morning, so I was very tired. And I sat down, and I looked, and all of a sudden, Darren Davis walks by. <laughs> what are you doing here? Darren Davis. I yelled out over there, so he sends his greeting. I'm thinking, how did you? And so we talked about who we knew that would come. And so I'm like, we talked for a moment, he said he was leaving. And I thought, how cool is that to get to see my, one of my friends that was from here? Then later that night, Pam and I and uh, another friend of ours, we were walking through Times Square. Now, if you've ever been to New York, that's a very busy place. Lots of lights. I mean, it's just it's amazing what, what man can create, and that's, that's a good thing. And we were looking at it, we are just like, this is incredible. All of a sudden, Pam goes, there's Darren Davis. In Times Square, we passed him again. I'm thinking, how could that happen, especially if you knew the arguments that she and I had that I was having with her about even going to Times Square. <laughs> so I delayed us. I made us late, and I made us so late that we actually passed Darren at exactly the moment we need to pass him. Right? I mean, I, you think, God, if I had not done that, and if that happened, I wouldn't have been right where we were when we passed Darren Davis. So Darren looked at me and said, dude, God's up to something. He's like, I get a hint now. Let's go eat somewhere, right? So in other words, you, you're going to pass twice. It's like God wants for us to have some conversation together. So we went and ate and had a wonderful time sharing about what God's done in me, what God's done in him and, and Pam and all of us and trying to say what's God doing in the world today. Just amazing. 
Uh, and, and the thing about it is, about three weeks earlier, I was really debating whether I should go or not. And I was like, God, you know, this is a long travel. It's going to be a busy week. Should I go? And he said, you're going to meet somebody. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to meet a lot of somebody's. It's New York, you know. And he's like, no, you're going to meet somebody. So that was it. And so when I met Darren, God, it was just like, especially that second time we passed him, God said, this is who I wanted you to meet now. And I thought it was going to be somebody different. You know how you try and figure God out? But it was like, no, he said, this is it. I mean, it was like, I was like, I could go home now. I've already done, you know, but uh, we stayed in uh, just a great meeting uh, to be able to hear how God's moving in the nations and how we're a part of that. So with that, I want you to turn to the book of Jonah. And I'm actually going to go through the book. I'm not going to read every verse. That would take us a while. And you're saying, how can you make it through the whole book of Jonah in one setting? Well, uh, 2 o'clock is not too far from now. And uh, no, I'll make through it. I'll hit some verses there. But uh, I was doing my study on Jonah. And one of the guys said that Jonah is the most Christian book in the Old Testament. Like, what is he talking about? The most Christian book in the Old Testament. And if you're familiar with the story of Jonah, which we're going to be, it's because in one book, it clearly represents God's heart for the world, not just the Jewish people. Right? So everywhere else you can get hints, you know, in you all nations of the world will be blessed, he told Abraham. And so we get this idea that God loves all nations. But here we see a clear story where God sends Jonah, a Jewish guy, to a Gentile city to share the good news or share the bad news to them, but so they could repent. God's heart that he loved the city. You see that, I mean, clearly laid out here in the book of Jonah. Now, if I have my proper hermeneutics and all that other stuff, I would have to spend quite a bit of time trying to stay just with the story of Jonah, what happened with Jonah. He's a real historical figure, and... um, and what it means in this context of this story. But because of time, I'm gonna, I'll be jumping quickly back and forth between what happened to Jonah and then stepping into saying this could be you or I. And also in that we could be looking at it as the church of today. And by the church, I'm talking about just the church in America uh, specifically. So uh, as, as my Beeson graduate they would be really getting on to me right now of what I just told you I was going to do but I'm doing it anyway (laughs) because that's not the 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 right way to but I'm just going to get into it you'll understand as I go back so I'm I mean you're not supposed to jump to that when you're studying the scriptures but you'll understand the new uh, NIV is what I'll be reading out of because that's what I think Bart preaches out of still the new King James is what I study a lot out of and there's some different wording that I'm going to bring out that's not in the NIV. And you'll say, well, it's not here. I know it's not in the NIV, but it is in the Hebrew, and it's in some other translations, okay? So some of those wordings. I titled this, Rise and Call on Your God. That's not going to be in the NIV, but it is in the New King James, right? So I'll tell you where that verse comes from. So, uh, But that's where we're set. Y'all ready to go? Ready to go in Jonah? All right, let's go. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. His name, named, uh, Amittai, means truthful. It means truthful there. Go to that great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. That go to that great city in the uh, New King James says, Arise, arise, get up. Quit standing around, get up and start to move, go somewhere. 
says, go to that city, that great city of Nineveh. Why? Because its wickedness in that city has aroused God's anger. Do you think that the sin within our nation has aroused God's anger? Do you think the sin within the church believers has aroused God's anger? You know, just looking at the Ten Commandments, I am the Lord your God, you shall serve no other. Do you think we are serving other gods? Do you think in our nation that we're looking for other things to fulfill, to find fulfillment in our lives that only God was established to fulfill? I mean, it could be money, it could be sex, it could be job, it could be everything. I mean, you just look at our nation and you can see just out of the Ten Commandments, we don't even have to go beyond number one to know that God would be offended in our churches. We're, we're struggling in, in, in our churches. The mayor of our city met at a prayer time in Tuscaloosa, and he shared several things of us uh, uh, about the state of the what he saw in the city, Christian man. And one of the things he said when he said it, I was, I was like, wow, can't believe he's saying that to us. But he said, all the nonprofit work, churches and nonprofit, when you add it up together, has failed to move the needle of change in our society. As spiritual as we want to think that we are as Christians and as spiritual as the churches say, look, our church now has 2,000, 10,000. The needle of change in our culture seems not to even tilt. Now, I understand salt doesn't have to tilt it and God's called us salt and we need to be salt and light and we actually do permeate far beyond what we can measure, but when he's talking about the racism that is, seems to be arising, when he talks about the anger, when he talks about the social ills in our country, the church seems to be almost diminishing in influence instead of rising in influence. You can go through the rest of them, the false gods, do not commit adultery. The church does really good in wanting to point out certain sins but we don't really like talking about all of them so we want to quickly point out and by the way when God wants to do something in the nation first he first talks about it within his church not the nation can you I mean we want to preach against the city but boy we need to preach here first now y'all got me ahead of myself okay Anyway, so here is the situation. Arise, get up, go to that great city. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. By the way, I always knew that was the opposite direction. But I just said, I'm going to look up on a map. Where in the world is Tarshish? It's actually by the, almost the Straits of Gibraltar. That was like the end of the known world at that point in time. Can you see it? I mean, he, he, he's leaving uh, Joppa there in Israel, and he's going as far away as that ship can take him. I mean, nobody's going out in the Atlantic. That's it. That was like he's going as far away. Nineveh is actually modern-day Mosul. Sound familiar? So we're praying for all that's going on in Mosul today. That was the, the, around the ruins of Nineveh in that city. And so that's about 500 miles north east of Israel that he had to travel. About 500 miles by foot. So he gets on this boat and he starts going the opposite direction. He runs away from what God has called him to do. 
Similarly, uh, the reason that Movement Day exists is because for the church, for the most part, left and went out to the suburbs. And it was easy for the church to leave the city, but it cost us a lot to move back in. Not only real estate, everything else. How do you really care for us if you left us in the city? So now we're, we're trying to go back. But they ran away from the Lord. Jonah ran away. And that's the first point. Jonah is a runaway Jonah. Let's see what happened to him as he ran away. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the ferry, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid. Each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. In the New King James that says, arise and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. It's important for us to understand that we need to learn how to call out to God. Even, even the secular people were at this point where they're saying, Look, all that we're doing in this nation is not working. Maybe church. Can you get up and begin to call on your God and see if he could do something? See, we have opinions and we complain we complain about all kinds of things. We complain about the news. We complain about our presidential candidates. We complain about what's going on. We know how to complain, but are we crying out to God? Where do you see people crying out to God? And, and I use the word crying out because it's different than just the five-minute prayer that we pray. When you are in distress and you see that you are in distress and this boat all the other men knew that things were seeking down. They knew they were in incredible distress. And they were saying, is anybody crying out to their God? Maybe something will work. We need the church to stand up. We need to be able to say, yes, it works. Here, I prayed for this and this happened. Here, I prayed for this and this is happening. We need to be able to point to some specific examples of where the church is saying, we're calling on our God to make a difference, and here's how it's happening. I, I, the secular world could easily say, we want to believe in the church if they could see where the church, where that was happening. We should not have an opinion about this political campaign until we've cried out to God. For when we cry out to God, then God speaks to us about his heart of all things. Now, I'm not saying you can't be involved. I'm saying we need to make sure that we're taking time to get in our prayer closet to hear what God has to say. Rather than just how I feel about it. Or it makes me angry. Or I'm frustrated. Or I wish we could. We need to get the mind of the Lord. And so these guys were crying out to him, Jonah, wake up! Wake up! Wake up, church! Wake up! Arise from your sleep! And the church has been intimidated. What are we going to say? I mean, they don't agree with us. And we are just walking intimidation, which is opposite of what the boldness of the Spirit calls for. 
So then the sailors said, come, let us cast lots. And they found out it was Jonah. So when they did, they said, tell us what country you're from. Why are you here? What's going on with you? We do not understand who you are, church. Tell us about yourself. Jonah answered. He said, I'm a Hebrew, which was probably the term in when they were talking to foreigners about who they were. Hebrew. They understood. You know how like we say we're Christians now? No. Well, the Jewish people said we're Hebrew. And that carried a lot of connotation because they probably also knew all the stories back to when the Hebrews were rescued from Egypt. They knew stories of this. Jonah's time frame is probably somewhere after Elijah and Elisha. We don't know for sure, but that's where most of the historians put this book, this story. There's some time in that time frame. He said, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the, dry sea, the land and the dry sea. Well, they were on the sea and knew what that was like, so they were already afraid of the sea. But in the land, they knew who he was talking about. They knew something of this God that was over all things. And I can guarantee you, when you begin to engage in the culture, even if they don't say they believe in God, they've heard the stories of what God has done in the past. Maybe not specific stories, but they have it. Because you know, when 9-11 happened, people automatically began to call on God. Even people that didn't even know who he was began to say, what's going on? There's something God has put in everyone's heart that when you address and let people know about God, they say, we know there's something bigger than just us. That we're not here by accident. People know that. And this terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? For they knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them. Hey, people know when the church has been hypocritical. They already know that. What have you done? I mean, if God were, they know that. I mean, look at our sexual misconduct that occurs throughout the church, and not just here in the pastoral setting. It occurs out here in the congregation, too. We, we can't, st the, the problem with standing up and saying abortion is wrong and all those is because our conduct in our own churches is not above board. And the church knows that. We're hypocritical. Doesn't mean we can't say those things, you understand? But I'm just saying we, we've got to get cleaned up. They looked at him and said, you've done something wrong. What have you done? Is it money embezzlement? Is it greed? Is it our pride? Is it our lack of love for others? We've got to wake up. We've got to wake up. Jonah says, pick me up, throw me into the sea. He replied, and it will become calm. I know it's my fault the great storm has come upon you. Whew. It's my fault the great storm has come upon you. See, when I hear things like that, and I know me, when I used to try and, and intercede in behalf of the nation, I'd say, God, I'm not near as bad as some of the parts of the nation. I mean, I haven't done all those things. I mean, there are some people who are really bad. This is me. I'm talking about me, not talking about you. And then I realized the pride of that statement is like a stench in God's nostrils. And so we, we, we understand that what we have been doing wrong has caused problems. In Australia, we have some friends that we met. We had an opportunity to go to Australia. These uh, pastor and several of those were at Movement Day. So we got to talk with them again. And uh, just recently, 
there was a little video that came from Toowoomba where the mayor said, we're going to make Toowoomba a porn-free city. That's the mayor, not the church. I mean, it was the mayor standing up. And he said the reason is because it devalues women. Anywhere you see porn, you see uh, misconduct, and you see abuse, and it devalues women, and we want to raise that value up. So the mayor made that proclamation. So I'm turning to my friend Andrew, and I said, tell me, how did that happen? He said, well, actually, it started about 10 months ago. And 10 months ago, he said, the church leaders got together and we said, we see what porn is doing to the, uh, our congregation, to the people in our city, and this bothers us. What should we do? And he said, well, you know what? The first thing we need to do is make sure it gets out of our churches first. And he said, so what they did is they began to look for counseling sessions. They began to look for programs. And they, and they gave it to all the ministers that were agreeing together. And they said, we want to make sure that your church has whatever it needs to address this issue. And so for really about eight months, the church has been grappling with how to actually make sure the men are walking in purity. And then with that, they went to the mayor and is a friend of theirs and began talking about it just purely from the social aspect of devaluing women. And so that's how it came to the point now where the mayor stands up and makes a, a proclamation on a news channel that we're going to make it porn free. But it started with the church saying we want to get serious about it. I have another friend that was at the pastor's prayer summit that works in this particular sexual addiction. He said seven out of ten men grapple with pornography. Seven out of ten. In the church, pastor, five, uh, one, one out of two. Fifty percent pastors grapple with it. Wake up. Arise. Get out of our sleep. Begin to move. We can't stay asleep in the boat any longer when it's going over, when it's sinking. The Lord wants us to awake. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life and do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Lord, have done as you have pleased. When I read this verse, I said, Jesus read this verse. He already said, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, so the Son of Man will be in the ground three days. I, I, as I read this, I thought, this is the Spirit of the Lord spoke to Jesus. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. Jesus read that and he said, I'm going to die an innocent man. Lord, don't hold them. Remember, he prayed that. Don't hold it to their account. Boy, I could just see that. I mean, the Spirit was just like, this encouraged Jesus. To follow through and what he needed to follow through on. Important thing was is that because he had done wrong, Jonah had done wrong, he didn't just commit suicide and jump over the boat. He said it's important that the people see the process of restoration for injustice. They needed to be a part of curing the injustice. It was important that the people on the boat were a part of helping see the injustice made right. Don't exclude the world from being to be a part of saying, look, this is wrong. The world knows things are wrong. And when they are part of it, look what happens. They threw him overboard. It got calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Why? The church allowed 
rest of Jonah allowed the rest of these guys to be a part of executing justice. And we need to, we need to applaud when there are right decisions in our justice system. We're always looking for the things to do wrong. We need to applaud because when that happens, it raises the honor and the value of God and his character up. So Jonah got thrown overboard, and then he ended up in a large fish, in the belly of a fish, for three days and three nights. We don't know what kind of fish it is. In fact, because of this particular part of the miraculous part of the story, most pastors don't even preach it. Because they get stuck on trying to be able to figure this part of it out. And so then they say, well, it's all just kind of an allegory. The whole story is an allegory. And they miss the fact that, that God is wanting to reveal himself to a wicked city. And so he's in the belly of a well. In my distress, I called to the Lord to answer me. From the depth of the realm of the dead, I called for the Lord help, and you listened to my cry. says that God prepared a fish for Jonah. Do you realize that no matter where we are, God can prepare a fish for you when you've been running away from the Lord? In fact, we want to pray for many of our children, our dads, who are running away from the Lord, that God would prepare a fish for them. I mean, they don't have to fall into the water. But do you understand that God already had prepared a fish just for Jonah? There was a transformation that needed to occur in Jonah's life really before he got to Nineveh, and Jonah didn't even know it. He didn't understand what had to happen to him on the inside in order for him to be able to proclaim God's message on the outside, but God prepared a fish for Jonah. And in that, in that place... Jonah began to cry out to the Lord. There's that word, cry out again. God had already told him, I want you to go cry out. I want you to proclaim to the great city of Nineveh. The people on the boat were crying out, but now we finally see Jonah crying out to the Lord in his distress. It became personal. It became real. He could tell you about his testimony. I was at the depths. The weeds encompassed me. Jonah knew he should be dead but God prepared a fish and there are all kinds of people all kinds of people that have been running from the Lord and God has prepared a fish they know they should not still be alive but they are alive we should be praying and interceding and and the thing is when the whole thing about the miraculous, you know, I don't know why I would be in this particular place when somebody shared the gospel with me. I don't know why or how I got here. I was in jail and somebody shared the gospel with me. There could be even somebody that was so drunk they ended up at one of those um, rehab places, you know, on the streets, Jimmy Hill Mission, and somebody shares the gospel with them. God can prepare a fish anywhere. He can prepare a fish anywhere. For some of you who have college students, you need to pray that there's a fish somewhere in their college world. Because I can tell you that's some bad places in the universities. There's no more uh, parental control around it. Our kids fall. And so we want to ask that God would give them a fish for them to be able to cry out to the Lord. When you're interceding, God send a big fish. Take care of them. Help them right in the middle of their mess. They need it. 
intercede for them. Ask the Lord to move in behalf. Down at the bottom of the, that second chapter, he said, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Boy, that's a strong statement. Worshiping and going after other idols keeps them from experiencing God's love. But I would shout, so grateful praise will sacrifice to you. And to me, this is the, the change that occurs in Jonah when he's praying. Not only is he saying, oh God, I don't even know why you kept me alive. Not only is he crying out like that. But he gets to a place and he says, now with shouts of grateful praise. There, you can see the change. No longer is he saying, I don't deserve to live. Now he's saying grateful. He said, there's something, there's an attitude change of some sort that occurs in Jonah's life. So much so that he says, what I have vowed, I will make good. See, true repentance, true repentance, and Jonah is repentant here, true repentance moves to the place where there's action. I can't tell you how many times we, we ask God to forgive us, but we don't add the action to it. John the Baptist said, you know, Bring forth fruits that show that you are repentant. And the church is very good at giving lip service to repentance, but no action. And now, understand that action is going to need the power of God to help us change and move. I'm not saying it's all you trying to gut it out and say, I oh, know, God, I'm going to prove to you this time I can do better. It's still that dependent God without you. I'm not going to do better, but I promise I want to walk where you walk. Right? So there's a graceful walk with the presence of God. I understand that, but there's got to be some action. What I have vowed, I will make good. Jonah's saying, look, I've said to you some things in the past, but now I really am going to do those things. And so that he understood that salvation comes only from the Lord. No other way. There's no other way to God. There's no other way to God. You walk out into the... The campuses, you walk out into your city, and most people are going to say there's multiple ways to God. The problem with Christianity from the world's perspective is that we're exclusive. Jesus is the only way. There is no other way to the Father except through me, Jesus said. It's exclusive. Well, praise God, chapter 3, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim its message I will give you. Praise God for the word of the Lord coming to Jonah a second time. They seem to think that Jonah, after he got spit out of the fish, went back to Jerusalem. Went back home. Not directly to Nineveh. Even though it says when it completes the vows, it seems to be that he went back home and, and to some degree went back to sleep because he felt disqualified. That he had done enough wrong that he disqualified himself. Anybody ever been there? God, how can you use me? Look what I've just done. How do I dare open my mouth? Because if people knew what I am, who I am, if they really knew that, knew my own thoughts, I can't stand up and proclaim God. So he just went back home. Even though transformation had occurred, even though the repentance had occurred, Jonah had retreated. He, he, he'd stepped back. He, he, just, he was like, who am I? I'm telling you, I can raise both my hands. You can too. 
None of us, because of our own works of righteousness or unrighteousness, are qualified to be able to stand before somebody and proclaim God's good news. And the enemy knows that. So he just hounds us, right? So the word of the Lord came a second time, praise God. And a third, and a fourth, and a fifth, and a sixth, and a hundredth time. As we confess our sins, the word of the Lord comes back to us again. Wake. It's the same word, rise up again. He uses it the same time again. He says, get up. He says, stand up. Get up. Go. Go to that city. Go to that city. There's joy. There's joy that comes in that word coming a second time. Well, it was a great city. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city and proclaiming 40 days. That's all you have left. 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 days. Now, here's where we get kind of stuck a little bit. Let me read on. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Here's where we get stuck. Because most of us think that Jonah, and he probably did, just walked through the city. He still didn't have a lot of care. You're all going to die in 40 days. In 40 days, you're all going to die. You're going to burn. You deserve it. God hates all your sin, and you did this, and you did this, and you did this. And so when we hear that, we think that the only proclamation that we can make to this dying world is just like Jonah's. Now, it said, Jonah went through the city proclaiming in 40 days you will be overthrown. So he did that. We were just, as I said, in New York. We were getting on a ferry going over to Staten Island. And there was an oriental-looking guy who was standing there. And he said, I have an announcement. There are two kinds of people in the world. Those that are going to heaven and those that are going to hell. And all of a sudden, a circle grew bigger around this guy. <laughs> and he preached truth. God loves the city, but the city is wicked. You violated God's principles. And that circle grew bigger. And they just let that guy talk. And he didn't smile necessarily. But you know what? I was praying for him. You have no idea who the one person needed to hear that right there at that particular point. It may have been me here that needed to hear it. He was just proclaiming the gospel. I know that's not the only way, so we get stuck. We say, God, I'm not a prophet like Jonah. I'm not going to be able to go stand up somewhere and just start yelling at people that they sinned. But here's what I want you to know. Here's the point that you and I do not need to miss. God could have destroyed Nineveh without Jonah. He didn't even have to have this story in here. The sins of Nineveh were so great, God could have just wiped them out with a volcano thing, wiped them out with an earthquake. God wants to move over our words. And when Jonah took the initiative, and God told him, and he began to proclaim in 40 days, if you don't repent, I don't even know if he said, 40 days God's going to overthrow the world. He didn't even say if you repent. But upon that proclamation out of Jonah's mouth, conviction of the Holy Spirit began to go over the people. Until Jonah spoke, God couldn't bring conviction. And that's what we need to hear. Frank's, one of the 
saints are get the wrong one. It says, preach the gospel every day, and if you have to, use words, right? I don't like that because that's not scriptural. Jesus came, and he didn't just live a good life healing people. The first words out of his mouth were repent. Now, I did it with all the love that God wants, but there has to be a proclamation of the word with the good deeds. Both. In order for God to be able to move, for his conviction to move. Just doing good deeds leads them to ask questions, but our words gives them the answers. Now, there's so many different ways. It could be in song. It could be in radio. I mean, there's a lot of ways for the proclamation to go forth. But here's the point I'm saying. In this country, our neighbors, our coworkers, the people we live with, need to hear the proclamation out of our lips. And you may not even say it well. You may not even get it proper. You know, you may say, well, I was trying to. God uses the words. He moves over the words when we take the initiative and say, well, I don't know, I just want to tell you God loves you. God's Spirit then jumps on your words. But until we speak, God has limited himself in how he's working. Now, I know he's preparing people in the fish. I know he's preparing things. But he uses our words. He uses Jonah's words. The first, the word of the Lord came in chapter 1. Go proclaim to the great city. The word of the Lord came a second time. Go proclaim to the great city. He didn't just say go there and be nice to everybody. He didn't say go there and wash their feet. Now, are those things necessary? Yes. If you look at the Spirit of the Lord upon me, Jesus said, for he's anointed me to what? Preach the good news and proclaim the favorable year, heal the sick. I mean, all the other stuff. But it, it was proclaiming. That was a part of it. And so the enemy has intimidated every one of us. Be quiet. Be quiet. Go back to sleep. Who's going to listen to you anyway? But unless we speak, God somehow moves over our speech. You say, Greg, how do you know that's true? What did Jesus tell the disciples before Pentecost? Go, pray, and wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Don't go anywhere and do anything until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they went in the upper room, 120 of them. They were praying for 10 days, and the Spirit of God fell on them, the fire on tongues. And the thing that was the most prominent thing was that their tongue was loosed. And all the people in the city said, we hear in our own language. We hear them talking in our own language. We hear the people talking. And when that happened, 3,000 people were converted on that day. They heard the sound of the mighty rushing wind. They'd already known about what Jesus happened. But when the disciples got up and all the, uh, the 120 began to confess, God and their tongue was loosed. God's spirit moved and 3,000 people were saved that day. He said, oh, that was just then. I mean, who, what can I be? By the way... And the end result of this, Jonah went and preached, right? 120,000 people's lives were saved because one man 
proclaimed what God told him to proclaim, and God relented and didn't punish the city after they had repented and all that. One man. And he was not a very willing vessel. He didn't even have his heart in it. He was frustrated that God was doing something for people that were different than him. Even the king responded and said, who knows? This God that he's talking about, he may relent and save our lives if we'll just repent. So everybody fast and pray. The king, who was not religious in the sense, but they knew about all the events that happened in Israel. They knew how the Assyrian army was could have all died, but Elijah saved their lives, sent them back home. They knew these things. But when Jonah preached the word, he said, let's, let's do what we can, and maybe God will relent. So when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. God didn't bring it about. Which reveals the last, uh, you know, he's not unresponsive, but in the last one, Jonah shows that he's got a bad attitude, resentful. You know, the last one, Jonah is just resentful. But Jonah, to this, seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Pray to the Lord. Isn't this exactly what I said you were going to do? When I was still at home, this is what I tried to forestall and flee into Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Praise God. He understood that about God, sort of. And then he asked the Lord to take away his life. The end result there is God kind of gave him a, an example by allowing a little plant to grow up beside him. The plant died, and Jonah re, still reflected he had a bad attitude. And God said, you've been concerned about this plant, but you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, they also have many animals. Could I not spare them? Could I not spare them? And the last part about him being resentful is that Jonah really didn't understand the character of God. And truth be told, sometimes we feel like people that do things wrong ought to get what they deserve. It's just something inside of us. Man, they really did wrong. I hope they get punished for that. That's that same attitude that was in there. It was probably, probably a little bit of racism in him also. While I was in Jerusalem with the Jews, and you said you wanted to forgive a city that's somewhere else, why should they? Res they're, they're not Jewish. So God was dealing with him about bringing about, and he says, but I care about this city. I care about this city. If you feel like uh, you have a little bit of resentfulness in you, then you need to ask the Lord to teach you how to be grateful and thankful. That's the opposite of that. When you start praying and giving thanks for other people, as Chris did today as he was praying for Barack Obama, that moves your heart into a right place where you can bless him. If you're complaining and resentful for our president or anyone in authority, 
then you're having a really hard time to have a heart of gratefulness. And I don't want to live in an ungrateful attitude. It, 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 it causes worry, it causes stress, it causes everything negative in your life. So, blessing is how you, when you bless and you begin to say, God, I thank you. And I do. I, I work with a lot of African Americans. And some people say, what do you love about President Obama? I said, I love the fact he's been with his wife and his two daughters. He has, he has shown a family what it's like to be a family in the White House that's, that's right. He loves his wife. I mean, he loves his wife. And that's awesome. And I, and I praise that about him. Right? So that, that's good that we, we learn how to do those things and say they're right. Because that deals with resentfulness. A lot of policies I don't agree with. But I want to maintain a thankfulness for him. All right? So that mean I agree with everything that he agrees with. But I am at a place that I'm thankful for the one who's over us. It could be in the belly of a fish that God's doing something in the church. It could be our leaders over us as the belly of the fish. The fish that God's given for us, for us to awaken call out on our God I don't know but I don't want to be a resentful Jonah I don't want that in our church life and I feel like for the church as a whole we're resentful for what happened in those over us and because of that we can't really hear what God's saying in Romans 13 he says pray for those in authority over you because God put them there and so anytime we're really complaining about it we're not really hearing what the reasons why God put them in that place we need to hear, understand what he's saying and doing there. All right, so let me kind of wrap it all up. One, if you've been running from the Lord, it's time to quit. Hear the voice of the Lord arise. Stop running. Stop running. And you say, well, that was 20 years ago God told me to preach the word. Stop running. By the way, this isn't the only place to preach it, from the pulpit. Everywhere you go, you, you say, God, here am I, send me. If you've been running from the Lord, it's time to stop. Our repentance needs to have actions associated with it. Well, what I wanted to do during ministry time today, though, for myself included. See, when I saw that guy in New York... And he was preaching the word, I thought, am I strong enough to stand up there by myself with Jesus at my side to just to declare that God loves him? And I was with a group and I was thinking I should go stand near that guy or something, but I didn't. And I want to say to you the same thing I'm saying to me, that we need that that fresh wind of the Holy Spirit on our lives to unlock our tongues and to move our feet that we would arise and call on God. If you stand with me, I'm going to lead us in a prayer just in repentance, and then I'm going to ask if you want to come forward and you want your tongue loosed. And I'm not talking about speaking in tongues, but if God wants to do that, he's free to do however he wants to. But I just mean loosed in boldness.
loosed in unashamed boldness. Jesus said in Acts 1-8, you'll be my witnesses, and uh, that's what we'll be praying for. So if that's a desire of your heart, I'm going to invite you forward that we'd be bold in, in our declaration here. But first, let me pray for a spirit of repentance over us, and then I'll call us forward. Bow your heads with me. Father God, we thank you for your love in our lives. And Lord, when it comes to repentance, it's so much easier to see what other people need to repent of than to focus on the fact that I've not done right, that I've violated your laws, violated your principles. But all across this, this auditorium, Father, I pray that the true spirit of conviction that leads to repentance would fall on us, and we just confess we've done wrong. To agree with you that my actions are more important than your actions. I wanted to live it my way or do it my way and not your way. I wanted to say the things I wanted to say regardless of whether you were telling me not to say it. to be angry with someone when you were telling me to be gentle. So God, we ask that you forgive us. For the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they should be made white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they be made white as wool. Only the blood of Jesus truly removes the sin from us. As if we had never sinned. You remove our unrighteousness. And then in your grace, you give us your righteousness. whether it was thoughts, ill thoughts of another person, you forgive us. Our words, you forgive us. We are made clean. Don't understand that kind of grace, but I'm glad you give it. us to confess often. Help us to confess quickly. Help us to agree that our way does not lead to righteousness, but your way does. Open our ears to hear, Father. Responsiveness to you. invite you forward. I'm just going to pray over us, but I feel like it's important that we move.